0: All right, welcome back to the Listener's Commentary on First Timothy. The aim of the Listener's Commentary is to provide clear, down-to-earth Bible teaching uh, through books of the New Testament in such a way that you can learn those books, live those books, and share those books with other people. And it's all made possible by the generous support of tons of people. So thanks a ton for your support. In this recording, we're going to be looking at First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And to keep that in context, this present section here at the beginning of chapter 4 began at the end of chapter 3, where Paul tells Timothy why he's writing. Paul says there, right at the end of chapter 3, that he's hoping to visit Timothy soon. But just in case he gets delayed, he wants to give Timothy some guidance and instruction how to deal with the stuff going on there in the church in Ephesus. He says specifically, he wants to give him instruction on how people ought to conduct themselves in the church, which he describes as God's household and the pillar and support of truth. So Paul now continues here in this paragraph at the beginning of chapter 4 by highlighting the opposite of that, some of the false ideas that are spreading among the believers in Ephesus and calling Timothy to point out the error of these ideas and to make sure he's dedicated to teaching the truth. And so chapter four begins like this, but the spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Now, First thing to note is that this stands in contrast to what Paul said at the end of chapter 3 about the church being the pillar and support of the truth. What the Spirit says is that people will abandon the truth of the faith and begin to listen to false ideas, the ideas of deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And it's important to notice that when he says that the Spirit says this will happen in later times, Paul is saying that's happening now in Ephesus. And so the later times were viewed as his day, uh, that the Spirit had pointed forward to this at some point prior to this, and it's happening there in Ephesus, which indicates that what the Spirit said is already occurring. Also notice that Paul says that some will fall away from the faith. So Paul seems to have in mind people who were once part of the church— once knew the truth, once identified with the Christian faith, and now have left that, fallen away from that. And Paul identifies or sees the ultimate source of the false ideas that they're believing as deceitful spirits and demons. And that reminds us that we must not neglect the reality of spiritual powers at work in this world to deceive people and to lead people astray. And even though people, in this case, the false teachers, are complicit in the deception, Paul's actually going to go on to that in verse 2, spiritual powers are also responsible for the lies and the falsehoods that they promote. And so Paul says that, that these ideas that are being passed on there in Ephesus, that are leading people away from the truth of the gospel, that these things have their origin in deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Now, the means by which these uh, spiritual powers disseminate their lies and their false ideas are human beings. So look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, By means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with the branding iron." In other words, these false ideas, they, they have their origin in evil spiritual powers that seek to destroy human beings, right? Deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. But... These ideas are being passed on, verse 2, by means of, through the hypocrisy of liars, the, the two-facedness. That's the idea of the word hypocrisy. It's originally referred to uh, uh, something in the play where a person would put a mask over their face, right? They're wearing a mask. They're two-faced. By the hypocrisy of liars, people who lie and pass on False ideas and these liars are seared in their own conscience. Think the idea of like being cauterized, right? Like, don't feel any pain now because it's been cauterized, right? As with a branding iron, as with a hot iron, and so their conscience is seared, and they don't—they don't even know they're lying. They don't even feel the pain of their lying. They don't even feel the pain of their deception and the destruction they're causing. Uh, they are so seared in their conscience. That's the idea, and so. Paul says that the Spirit of God says that this is going to happen. It's happening there in Ephesus. The source of these false ideas ultimately is evil spiritual powers. The means they're using to pass on their false ideas are people who are so seared and so deceived they're not even aware of their hypocrisy and their lies. Now, what are some of the false ideas that are spreading in Ephesus? Well, verse 3 and following lists off some of the false ideas that are stirring up trouble for the church there. So the first one is, who forbid marriage? So these, the, the who refers back to the liars there in verse 2, who forbid marriage. So that's one of the false ideas being taught among the Christians in Ephesus. And that fact likely actually explains some of the things that Paul says in the letter. It's probably why Paul tells younger widows in the next chapter, chapter 5, he wants them to get married. Don't stay single. Singleness. Don't glorify it, right? Get married, have children. It's also why he emphasizes that the value of childbearing and childrearing, both in chapter five and in chapter two. Um, and so that's probably why he mentions these things, is because there's this idea swirling about from these liars of that they shouldn't get married. Marriage is bad. They're forbidding marriage. And again, in the climate of Ephesus with the centrality of the temple of Artemis and the consequent glorification and glamorization of female singleness that kind of went along with the Artemis cult and some of the things that were promoted in keeping with the Artemis cult, right? Like female singleness was the end all be all. It was the best way to go. Because of that, it's not surprising that this false idea took hold even among people in the church. Maybe some of them brought that idea with them into the church uh, when they came out of their pagan background. So that's one of the false ideas that's affecting the church. Another one is uh, they advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Now, Paul doesn't specify what kind of foods here, and it's probably related to the fact that these... Uh, False teachers want to be teachers of the law, as Paul mentioned in chapter 1, right? And therefore, probably talking about Jewish food laws, that's probably what it means. But even some of the pagan cults had certain food laws and all of that. So whatever foods uh, they are forbidding, Paul says this about all food. He says, all food is created by God. It's to be partaken of gratefully and that those who know and believe the truth should gratefully enjoy all the foods, And then he goes on in verse 4, and he explains why. Notice verse 4 begins with the word for. For is giving a reason. It's explaining why. Why can you receive all food gratefully? Why is all food good? Well, look what Paul says in verse 4. He says, for everything created by God is good. And this comes right out of the creation account in Genesis, right? Where God saw all that he had made, and it was good. So everything created by God is good, as Genesis uh, 1 and 2 emphasizes. And nothing, Paul says in the second half of verse 4, nothing is to be rejected if it's received with gratitude. And that means, in context, since he's talking about foods, no food is to be rejected, but rather received with gratitude. And uh, this was the standard among the Jews in Paul's day, right? Like when you ate a meal, you pray to prayer of thanksgiving, to thank God who is the giver of every good gift and all the good food. And then he says in verse 5, for, like nothing's to be rejected if it's received with gratitude, for it's sanctified, that is set apart as holy, consecrated, right? Like being offered back to God, it's consecrated by means of the word of God and prayer. And this really is a summary statement of what Paul has just said. It's sanctified, made holy by means of the word of God. And Paul has just referenced Genesis 1 and 2, where God saw all that he made and it was good. And so the word of God declares everything good. And then prayer. Paul has just mentioned receiving it with gratitude. And so God's word in Genesis 1 and 2 declared all foods good. And the prayer of thanksgiving, those two things together, they, they consecrate All foods as proper to be received and good. Now, having explained all of this, Paul now turns directly to address Timothy in verse 6. He says, And pointing out these things to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. And the you here is singular. Uh, That's because he's directly speaking to Timothy. And so Timothy is expected to pass on these truths to the believers there in Ephesus. And if he does so, you will be, Paul says, a good servant. That word servant is diakonos. It's the word that was just translated deacon at the end of chapter 3. And so he'll be a good servant, a good minister of Jesus Christ. And notice he's a servant of Christ Jesus. That is King Jesus. That's who he serves. That's who he's a minister of. And so in pointing out these things, you will actually be a good assistant to a good minister of King Jesus. Constantly nourished, Paul goes on to say in the second half of verse 6, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and the good doctrine which you've been following. The idea of nourished is Fed, right? Nurtured, right? Like the mind and the heart is fed and nourished on the words of the faith and the good doctrine. The word doctrine just means teaching. Uh, And so doctrine is sort of like a good religious word, but it just, the the Greek word just means teaching. So on the words of the faith and the good teaching which you've been following. And so if you do this, you point these things out to the brothers, you're actually going to be honoring the words of the faith and the teaching that you've been following. But, verse seven, Contrast to that, stay away from worthless stories that are typical of old women. This translation sounds far more negative about old women than it should. It's not really a great way of translating this phrase. Literally, what Paul does is he refers to stories, that literally is myths, and then he gives two adjectives to describe them. That's all he does. All right, so Paul says that uh, you need to stay away from myths, And Paul has used that word in chapter 1, verse 4 to describe whatever false ideas are swirling about there in Ephesus. That's their myths, their falsehoods, right? Don't believe them. Stay away from them. And then the two adjectives he uses are, the first one is literally profane, translated here in this version as worthless, but it's profane. That is unholy, ungodly, right? Like it's, they're just profane, merely human, empty stories. And so profane stories. And then the other adjective he uses is the it's just a word that means old womanish and it's translated that are typical of old women but it's literally as in like the english phrase an old wives tale which means something silly unbelievable foolish no one would believe that that's the idea and so it's not denigrating old women it's an adjective for a the myths as being silly or foolish so timothy And by extension, the believers through his teaching and by application, us today, should be nourished on the words of the faith and the good teaching and refuse to participate in profane and silly myths. That's the idea. Since Timothy needs to be nourished on the truth and avoid myths, Paul now issues a strong call to action to Timothy and to all of us who want to follow and serve Jesus. He says, rather, so that rather is a strong contrast. Stay away from these silly, profane myths. Rather, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. As a good servant of King Jesus, this is what Timothy must do. As good servants of King Jesus, this is what we must do. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And that word discipline is the Greek word gymnazo, from which we get our English word gymnasium. It's the idea of going to the gym and getting fit, right? Conditioning yourself. That's the idea of discipline. Some translations translate it train. There were gymnasiums in every major city in the Greco-Roman world. Ephesus itself had a very large gymnasium. This was popular where you would go and you would work out and you would get fit. You would get conditioned. That's the idea of this word. And so discipline, train yourself, hit the spiritual gym, he says, for the purpose of godliness. The word godliness is the actual opposite of the word profane that was just used to describe the stories or the myths in the first half of verse 7. Godliness has the idea of carrying out God's instructions in service, being set apart for God. It's living a, a God-word life where your life is about God and His things. And so discipline yourself Condition yourself to that end. And then Paul gives the reason for that in verse 8. He says, for bodily training, bodily discipline is just slightly beneficial. It's a little bit beneficial. Like being physically fit, there's some benefit to that. That's good. So, you know, be physically fit, all well and good. For bodily training is a little bit beneficial, but godliness is beneficial for all things since it holds promise for the present life and the life to come. And so even though many people give tons of time and attention in Timothy's day and our own to physical fitness and physical conditioning and going to the gym and getting fit that way, Paul's like, that's got some benefit, a little bit of benefit, but godliness has way more benefit than that. It's way more profitable than that. He actually says godliness is beneficial for all things, like for your whole life. Why? Because it holds promise For the present life, like it benefits you in the here and now, godliness actually makes life work more uh, healthy and better now, but also for the life to come. So it holds promise both for the present life and for the life to come in the age to come. And therefore, we should be highly motivated to discipline ourselves for the sake of godliness. Paul then says in verse 9, It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. That is, everything Paul has just said to Timothy about being nourished on the truth, about avoiding profane silly myths, about conditioning himself for the sake of godliness, everything Paul has just said to Timothy, um, especially the, the stuff about godliness holding value for the present life and the life to come, all of that is a trustworthy word. And it deserves full acceptance by Timothy and all those that Timothy will influence and teach. And then Paul ends this section really by giving the reason for that. Why does this deserve full acceptance? Well, look at verse 10. He says, For it is for this that we, Paul and Timothy and all who serve Christ, it's for this we labor and strive, because we have set our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all mankind, especially of believers. That's why it deserves full acceptance, because this is what we're pouring our life into, because we've set our hope on the living God, because it's the very heart of Paul's ministry and Timothy's ministry and everything they do. They labor and strive for this. Those two words speak of intense effort and difficulty and energy and giving themselves over to it. Um, They strive because godliness is what counts. And when he says, because we've set our hope on the living God, he's talking about that's godliness. We're, we're living a Godward life. We're fixing our hope on him. We're putting all our eggs in that basket. And so why do Paul and Timothy do that? Why does anyone do that? Because they've set their hope on the living God, not on this world and its silly ideas and myths. They're hoping in God and God's promises and what God said he will do. And God is described as the savior of all mankind, especially believers. That is, God has provided salvation for all people. Just as Paul said in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, there he said, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of truth, right? So God's the savior of all people because of God. Could He would make everybody believe, Um, but God's not going to force that on all people. And so he's the savior of all mankind because uh, he has provided salvation that has the potential to save all people and because God ultimately would love for all people to be saved, but only believers actually receive it. And that's why Paul says, especially believers, particularly believers, that is believers, those are the ones that actually experience the salvation that God has provided. And so Paul has issued this really strong call to Timothy to deal with the false ideas, to avoid those false ideas himself, to discipline himself for the sake of godliness, because that's what really matters. That's at the heart of their ministry. And so it really reminds us as we wrap up this section by way of reflection. It reminds us of how central godliness is to our life, and we have to make sure that we're avoiding falsehood. We're filling our mind, setting our hope on the living God and his truth and his promises, that we're disciplining ourselves, training ourselves, getting in shape, spiritually speaking, so that we can live godly lives, faithful to Christ in this world. That's actually a very strong message for all of us out of 1st Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 10. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this session on the listener's commentary. The listener's commentary is a listener-supported, crowd-funded Bible teaching ministry that's only possible because of the generous support of tons of people just like you. So thanks a ton for your support, and you can join the team of supporters either by signing up for the Study Hub or by uh, clicking the Give button at listenerscommentary.com. That's listenerscommentary.com. Swing over there, sign up for the Study Hub, or click the Give button. All monthly donors get access to the online courses and some of the bonus materials that are available inside the Study Hub. Thanks a ton for your support.